announcement. The hemp revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. You can hear the stories of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating the business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game forever. Introducing your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. Hey guys, Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado. Super excited to be here on another Rock Your Socks episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast, where we are sharing the story of the entrepreneurs who are pushing this incredible industry forward. And sometimes, every once in a while, we get a golden nugget coming in who's been down the river Mm -hmm. and through the woods and experienced just some incredible success in all of the businesses that they have been building. And in today's episode, we have one of those, I like to call us the old heads, some of us veterans, some of the people who have really been a part of coming out of the mountains and into the valleys to help you guys realize how incredible this plant and all of its derivatives can be and are for ourselves, our families, our friends, and the communities that we are a part of. As you know, it is our mission to empower you with the truth about cannabis, the industry that is surrounding it, and as well as hemp so that you can make empowered decisions about how you're caring for yourself, the people that you love, and the conditions that you may be suffering from. And if you're a budding entrepreneur looking to break through the glass ceilings of getting involved with this incredible industry, check us out at theemeraldcircle.com. And if you are a person looking for products you can trust and depend on to deliver the results you're looking for, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. We are happy to help. Today, guys, no introduction necessary. I have with me the incredible Chip Baker, who is running the Real Dirt podcast, he is the owner and founder of the largest hydroponic store in the country. They are in Colorado. They are in Oklahoma and expanding across the United States, right from down the street in my neck of the woods in California, and now taking ownership of the movement down in Oklahoma. Put your hands together and help me welcome Mr. Chip Baker. How's it going? Oh man, it's going great. Glad to be glad to be on the podcast, Sonia. We've been talking about this for a long time and great introduction. Probably most of it's not true, but thanks for the uh, marketing of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Well, let's shine a little light on the, on the real situation. Absolutely. Give a quick and dirty on who you are, what you're up to and how you ended up in the cannabis and hemp movement. Well, I ended up just like everybody else did. I uh, smoked a joint and fell in love with cannabis and, you know, that's the true head you kind of mentioned or the old school or the, the veterans, because how it started is, you know, people wanted the supply of cannabis. People wanted ganja in some form. And, and mostly it was people like me and you who were like, oh, man, this is my last joint. How do I get another one? I'm going to get Right. And you figured out how to grow it. And like, you know, cannabis started growing you and you were cultivating cannabis and it was cultivating you and 
you know, uh, it's just, it's elevated so many of us in that platform. Now it's different. If you want to get involved in the cannabis industry, you can look it up on YouTube, Google, you know, numerous Facebook groups like, you know, y'all's great Facebook group, the Green Rush Facebook group, and the information's just ready. So almost anybody now can hop into the cannabis industry. No matter if it's ganja or hemp, no matter if you want to grow your own medical cannabis or you want to start a recreational cannabis facility in numerous states that have gone recreational, or if you want a small mom and pop hemp operation or a CDBD extraction operation, we literally help people do all of that in, in kind of some form. We are involved in everything cannabis that, that we can be. Hell yeah, we are. <laughs> It was, I, I was talking to somebody else who said that his relationship with Mary Jane was like a marriage he never wanted, but what we can never let go of. And I, I crack up because, you know, being a Latina, I have jealous tendencies. I'm like, you know, what about me? And the so you plant, get jealous of James smoking weed? No, I don't get jealous of James smoking <laughs> weed, but when he was growing it every day, oh, like, man. You know, yeah, I'm like more time with the plants and you spend it with me. Yeah, no. Well, I'm like, okay, awesome. We're going to go on vacation. He's like, I ain't going fucking nowhere. And I was it's like, September. yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, cool. We're going to go to reggae on the river, which is like this. Uh, light dab season. Like, Harvest time. Like, mm, no, rip off on the river mm. is not my game. And I'm like, yeah. oh man. So that's what I, I think that my other guest meant was just like, once you get in with her and, and like you said, it grows you, you grow her, you know, it's just the way that the relationship works in harmony. And she takes a lot of time and attention and nurturing and love and support. And I say she, because that's how, you know, real no, it's, it's a marriage. It's the best way to describe it when you're truly, truly into it yeah. and it's your life and it's what you want to do. And it's what I've done my whole life. It's what I'm going to continue to do my life with. And that's why one of the reasons I'm here is to help spread this plant. You are one of what I call the survivors. There is a lot of people who are close friends, close family, you know, neighbors, community members who have truly deserved the notoriety, truly deserve the attention and the, that's exactly what it is, notoriety, acknowledgement for the work that they've put in over the years, getting to understand and develop this plant, its strains, all of its derivatives. And yet somehow not everybody that we thought could or should make yeah. it with their know-how has been uh, able to crack the code on coming mainstream. You, on the other hand, skated right on down the river and into the valley and have been able to build a really significant business that for those of you guys who are listening should definitely check out, you know, whether you're growing yourself or if you just want to look at a business model from an entrepreneur who has the history behind him and is entering into the mainstream, it's an excellent story to follow. But Chip, you did a few things differently in order to build your company. What do you think sets you apart from the other folks that we know and love who haven't been able to you know, hit the milestones that you have? You know, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family and that absolutely had a lot to do with it. But the big thing is I was taught from an early age to try to make things from scratch. 
right? So we shopped at the farmer's market, you made a cake, it all came from scratch. And, and really that's vertical integration is what we call it now. Mm-hmm. And that really is the, the reason that we've been able to survive and do so well, because we're involved in everything cannabis. So we import products, we manufacture and import products from China. We manufacture products in Colorado. We buy from the distributors, we sell to the distributors, we sell to the growers, all the grow equipment, all the lights, all the fertilizer. Uh, We make potting soil, you know, everybody needs potting soil. I get to see this loop, I'm buying it in the same type of environment that the distributors and the other manufacturers of it. I talk to the end user on a daily basis, which most of those people don't get to do. So I get to talk to the grower, and I know like how the whole supply chain is working from China or India to the U.S. And, and all the way through. And really, that gives me this incredible perspective of what's going on right now in the marketplace and what's going on in the future. I get to see the purchasing trends. I get to see, you know, and it all starts with the grow equipment, right? You have to have a seed tray to start seeds or clones. you got to have a propagation tray. There's tons of propagation equipment being bought and sold. You can bet that the year is going to be big, right? You can also bet that the next thing you got to do is buy a ton of grow material for vegetative growth. The next thing you got to do is buy, you know, a ton of flowering material and just be on that whole cycle and, and know how it works because we talk to the growers and they're like, oh, things are coming in earlier this year on the outside market. And it's like, okay, well, let's get all of our harvest equipment in. Let's get all of the trim machines, all the bags in. And, and it just, it gives us this great perspective. You know, we're, my, we're all, also involved in legal cannabis and all of its forms. So we, we, we have this other ground level view of it, right? Like, okay, we know how hard the taxes are. We know how hard it is to sell in Colorado, California, Oklahoma. We know the differences of what people want. And, you know, Oklahoma and California, for instance, there's a huge organic market in both of those places. In Colorado, not so much. Isn't that right? crazy? But, well, you know, I think it's really indicative of the whole world. But Colorado is really a a beautiful place and they want things to be beautiful and organic often isn't beautiful. Right. And no debate here. I'm sure you guys out there that are pros uh, that you can make it beautiful. Most people just can't. It just is great. It's great smoke. It's, you know, it's incredible smelling weed has a great terpene profile. It just organic usually just doesn't look as good as synthetically enhanced. I'll say, you know, product, but uh, I digress. So, uh, you know, People want to say focus on one thing in business all the time and do it well. I just can't do that. And, or I didn't think I could do it, but I really, I focused on the grower, right? That's my customer and I want to service him and her in any way possible and know every single thing about what they're going through and, you know, exactly like what their other people are going through here, here in Oklahoma, for instance, everybody's building out grow rooms for the first time. Right. There are mostly locals. It's all 200 and 400 amp grows. Well, right. Cause they come to the shop and they tell me what the requirements are and they've only got 200 or 400 amps. So they're buying like 12 lights, 24 lights, 48 lights, like that type of scenario. Right. Like I already know like what's going to happen. Cause this is how it used to be in, in Humboldt and in Colorado is that was all the power you had to grow with is 200 and 400 amps. If you had 400 amps, you were lucky. 
you yeah. could get the power <laughs> upgrades. You know, and Colorado really started the whole power upgrade movement. You know, easily power upgrades. But, you know, we already know all the calculations immediately. Oh, you're going to do 12, you know, 12 lights, you know, in Oklahoma, you've got an insulated building, you're going to need 0.5 ton per thousand watt on average, it's going to cost you about $800 per light to put your grow room together. Because we see it so much, you know, and, and, you know, right now in Oklahoma, for instance, also, because we see this, I see all these home growers and 200 amps, you're going to grow the best we possible. You're going to have the time. It's not that big of a scene, right? You're really going to be able to learn and put your energy into it. So we're going to see a lot, a lot of great weed come out of Oklahoma. And we're going to, lot to see a lot of great growers get developed down here. But because of this, where in Colorado, man, you know, I love Colorado, do great business there, but it's just, you know, different marketplace. You could get funding, move into a building, have a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand amps of power and start off really big, yeah. right? With hundreds of lamps. And you may have just gone from like, you know, a, a small grow room of five or 10 lamps all the way up to like, now you got 200 or 400 lamps, you know, and we saw it happen there too. We saw it go from everybody was in 20 and 40 lamps. Then everybody went to hundred lamps and now everybody's in 400 lamps. You don't have 400 lamps. Like you're, you might be struggling to make it up there. So, you know, we see how like fast it runs and the same kind of thing is going to happen here to a different degree. Yeah, I agree. You know, I got to be perfectly honest with you. Like I am not the person to ask what state we think is going to happen next because Oklahoma was like, if you would have asked me, is Oklahoma going to legalize before um, any one of these other states? Right. I would have been like, Oklahoma's right next to Alabama and Mississippi. Like, they ain't doing shit. <laughs> <laughs> we got a better chance going into Texas. Well, you know, you said it at the beginning of this. It's hard to tell who's going to be successful and who's not. Yeah. Right. I've had better people than me try to do what we do, and they haven't been able to do it. Man, I'm, I'm, I can barely read and write, right? I am, I am, <laughs> I have incredible drive and, and I do see patterns and things, but like my education, like I, I don't have that much of an education. I went to high school. I got a few years of college, but I learned it all on the streets, you know, and I've seen other people with, you know, master's degrees come in and, you know, degrees in biology, and botany, and horticulture and just fail. You're like, oh, this guy's got it, man. Yeah. This guy's been making cell cultures of lettuce for fucking 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you just never know. You just never know. And we failed at plenty of things. But, you know, the, the thing is, is we always want to keep going. Right? And we see it, 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 see it is success through failure. That's for sure. I believe that. I want to jump in the deep end. I want to drown a little bit. And then come back up and be like, okay, don't do that again. Do it this way. And then jump back in the deep end, <laughs> right, until you succeed at it. And I know other people don't do it that way. And many people, like, especially if you've got a master's in business, you know, you, you, you come to it differently. You're like, okay, I've got a business plan. Here's something to do. I'm going to get financing. This is going to be the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. This is how it's all going to plot out. But in reality, with entrepreneurship, especially when you start a business out, none of that stuff works, right? Like you can plan as much as you want to plan. And then yeah. one thing go wrong, shh, the whole plan just is out of whack. 
Yeah. Right. So uh, we we really try to play business and and life like a football game. You make mm-hmm. a play. You want to win the game. You got a, a goal and a design to win the game, but you play it play by play. Make a play. The ball goes down. You huddle up. Start over again. Make another play. Right. Yeah. Yeah, one of my mentors said 99 yards does not make a touchdown. And this was, this is a super impactful little phrase that I've used quite a bit here because I continuously hear in on my own consulting, you know, companies who come with me and they're like, we've got this whole book and it's our plan and it's our strategy and it's, we're going to do this and it's going to look like this. And I'm just like, yeah, but when are you going to get the girl, bro? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah right, <laughs> like right, your plan right. Buddy, like, let me just explain something to you. Get one hailstorm. There's one. There's a cockroach mm-hmm. runs into the wrong hole. Like, mm-hmm. you're gonna have yourself <laughs> a completely different situation, you know. And I still say, eighty percent of your time should be spent on the planning, twenty percent on the execution, because mm-hmm. the planning has to include Plan B through E, you yeah, know, absolutely. because you absolutely there, there is no one size fits all when it comes mm-hmm. to this plan. It's Literally, it is like a woman. There's no one of us that is like the other. You can't approach one girlfriend the way that you did the one before. You gotta like the environment, temperatures, every every scenario is different and your environments are different. There's pieces of it that you can control thanks to technology that's sold through outlets like yours. But really- Are we talking about weed life or business right here? Because it all seems to like- it, it's all mixing Murder. it together. You know, it's the life of business with weed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's how it it's how it goes. So I'm really interested from you. Like you said that you failed forward and really yeah. being able to get back up from scraping your knee and knees and elbows to get oh. to the next, you know, willing to continue to push forward. Share with us a little bit, because I think we have a lot of a lot of brands, a lot of businesses, a lot of growers. There's tons of folks who listen to this from all different walks of life. All that we share in common is that we want to see this industry succeed and we want to figure out how we can be a part of that success story. So for you, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were trying to get started in your business, you know, as a supplier serving growers? The biggest problem I had then and I have now and and I'll say like I started my first soil company in 2002 right I was one of the first importers of cocoa fiber into the country for the hydroponic market botanicare kind of beat me to the punch on a bagged product but I was right behind them my biggest problem then and now is focusing on my local market and, you know, we want to do this bigger, better thing all the time. And, you know, like I want to like tell everybody about how great my, my new soil product growers is. And it's great. Everybody in the country should be using it. You know what? It's hard for me as a business person to expand the business and manufacturing of anything, you know, with, without, you know, financing or self-financing, right? This industry it's mostly self-financed, right? We literally started on 1200 bucks and I got another $1,200 from somebody and we had $3,000 somehow, you know, and we bought our first load of cocoa fiber, right? And it literally just, we just kept putting money back in, kept putting money back in, you know, working the day job, kept putting all the time and the money back in and it finally came around. So that 
the like idea of the product I had in 2002, the idea of the products I have right now really are limited by like how I can get them out into the marketplace. And if you think about it, no matter who you are, it's your local marketplace is the easiest one to get into. It's the best one to get into. Man, if you've got like the legs of a local market and distribution, then you can take that and move it to wherever you want or send wherever ever you want to. But it's this, it's this thing that you have to overcome and man, I struggle with it right now. I'm struggling with it right now with my potting soil company, right? Is, is this growing so fast? I can't really keep up with it. It's hard for me to ask for new customers, even though I think everybody should try this great new product I have because my old customers are buying it at such an unanticipated level. Right. That it's like, okay, I got one guy, he's buying one truckload, two truckload, three truckload, 10 truckloads now, you know, and, and it's hard to pick up new customers when you can do that, you know, and he's a local guy. He's my like local connection for it. And so I'd like, I'd love to like, and I do sell all over the country with this product, but my, my local market is so fascinating here in Oklahoma and here in Colorado, like, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm just constantly keep reminding myself, okay, like, this is where we need to focus. This is where we need to organize. Yeah, I want to sell to Canada and to Guam and Mexico and to all these other places. Yeah, these people here, they need the product. They need what it got. And it doesn't matter if you're a hemp farmer, same thing, right? You're growing hemp, national company. I mean, national product. People can ship it all over now. The banking regulations just cleared up like today or something for hemp farmers. And there's still people in your local community that are buying CBD that's coming from way across the country. Let's just sell it to them, right? You don't have to be in this necessarily national marketplace. You just want to do good business. And that's, that's the thing I, I struggle with all the time. I want to tell everybody about it. And I want to do it all. And I love marketing and I love the advertising of it all. And I love talking to people like you about it, you know, the business is going so good. I can't really expand. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I mean, I love, and I hate that because I, yeah. I, I hear it quite a bit. People are, you know, they're always trying to think macro versus micro. And I was yeah. talking to, I was talking to somebody yesterday who does a lot of the financing for cannabis, for the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And I asked him the question, you know, what can we tell a new business and a new brand who's trying to figure out success so they could even qualify for additional funding if they wanted to grow. And he gave me this formula. If you can get a hundred locations selling a thousand dollars worth of product for you within a hundred miles of where you live, you have yourself a million dollar business and people will put money behind you. And I think it's the same. Your numbers are obviously a little bit different, but if you can get a hundred customers who are spending that kind of money with you within a hundred miles from where you yeah. live, the word yeah. of mouth will start to spread, you know, mm -hmm. naturally. My question for you, and you're really clear about who you serve, even though you do and can provide everything, you're really catering to the cultivator, in-home grower. Cultivator. Yeah, yeah. The, the grower, like, and for me, like, that's awesome because it all starts there, right? If you can't grow it, like, the fuck are we gonna do trying to sell it, you know right. what I mean? So my question for you is, is there a piece of the old industry that you miss in today's new marketplace? All the stacks of cash, man. I <laughs> <laughs> was hoping you were going to say that. I say That's that to myself all the time. I'm like, <laughs> if I just had one. <laughs> you know, 
No, the cash is actually a pain in the ass. I actually don't miss that at all. You know, no matter if it was what it was, Hydro stores in the past, all of our customers, it was all cash, right? All cash, all cash. And honestly, that ended up like causing me and other people tons of problems, got kicked out of tons of banks. And so I actually don't miss the stacks of cash, right? I would much like, and everybody prefers it too, is just to have like wire transfers, electronic transfers, you know, credit cards. And I know it's a little pain in the ass here or there, but I don't miss the cash transactions. I don't miss the like not being able to use a bank. I don't miss not being able to use proper accounting software because that's really what like has made it all happen, Mm -hmm. right? Is to be able to operate like a conventional business, Mm -hmm. you know, with accounting software, with point of sale software, with inventory manufacturing control software to align it all with your bank account to be able to see where every single cent goes because that's how you make money is you track all of your inputs, you know, all of your costs, you know, all your revenue and that very bottom line works, but you got to be able to track it all. And when it's a shoebox accounting, when there's a shoebox full of money there and like, that's how you work it all. It's just so difficult. So I don't really miss that. You know, I joke about it, but I don't really miss that. I, I tell you what I do miss though is and this, this might come off arrogant or conceited or, but I'm just, hey, in the good old days, growers were superheroes. If you were a grower, you were a rock star. If oh, yeah. you had the greatest, the best weed or, you know, man, like, and that's got me into more doors than anything else I've ever done is being able to have just great weed, you know, and, and then it, at some point it just changed to where it was just like normal, you know, and, and everybody had the superpower and it was kind of like, you know, how, how like Reiki is, you know, it has to come from the master, right? <laughs> right. That's how growing used to be, right. You had to get it one of two ways experience or it had to be hand, the knowledge had to be handed down to you. And that did create this certain fraternal order that doesn't really exist now. You know, it was, it was a group of outlaws that, you know, they decided that they wanted to like risk their lives, risk their freedom in order to like better themselves and better the world. Cause Hey, let's face it. Like, you know, money is really what propels all business. And this was, you know, private market cannabis is really good business. And to some, it still is a really good business. Right. But uh, you really were risking stuff back then. And, you know, when, you know, I can't remember when you guys were in Humboldt, but like I got there in the 90s and early 90s for us. Yeah, yeah. The deal was, uh, you know, if you got busted with under 100 plants or 100 pounds, then you just got this three year probation felony wobbler thing. Right. And so that allowed people to like grow just that much weed. And if they got busted, then they'd only get this, you know, felony wobbler three year probation. And, you know, that really existed for a long time, but it, it allowed people to like have a certain amount of like risk. You know, it's like, okay, I'm build calculated like, risk, grow a hundred plants, you know, and, and I got 98, right. I got 50, but they're twice the size whatever people's thing was, you know how it is. Like yeah. everybody, <laughs> thing. I'm going to veg at this place. And I'm going to flower at this place, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So I only have a hundred plants on any one place at one time, all kinds of like ideas like that. 
but man, there was this, this camaraderie. There was also this like thing that you get in wartime where, you know, the growers at that time and for a long time and in many places still are, you're on the front line of the war on drugs. There is literally armed people trying to come after you on a daily basis, whether it's the police or the robbers. Right. And, you know, you're become a veteran. You mentioned that earlier. And it, it, you know, someone asked me if I was a veteran recently, meaning of the war in, you know, Iraq or Afghanistan. I was like, Oh, the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. Right. And they didn't quite get that, but I'll, you know, then I explained it to them a little bit and they're like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. Okay. I also don't miss those times either. <laughs> because man you know what sucks is bailing your friends out of jail mm -hmm. right you know what sucks is your best customer gets busted and can't pay you the fifty hundred thousand dollar invoice he has right you know what sucks is like when people get shot and killed and maimed and robbed and scared and you know assaulted because someone's coming to rob them for this plan you know what uh, all that shit sucks, man. And people who are like, oh, black, you know, I just wish it never would have legalized. I guarantee you they have never had anyone shoot at them, never had a fight over their water with their neighbor, never had like some pissing <laughs> contest with their neighbor over who could grow whatever they wanted. You know, you're too big. You're no, you're too big. Your cops are going to come out. I'm going to come cut your plants down. You know, like all of that's just, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just gone. Right. I mean, you know how crazy it is. It, you know, we, we know what happened up there. It's just crazy, crazy place. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like Sarajevo or something at how like incredible it is at all the different factions that are there and working there to like, just be debaucherous. Yeah. Right. And, you know, from knocking down hillsides, you know, growing ganja on it, to growing on public land, to like growing on your neighbor's land, to like, I mean, it's still like the number one missing capital of the country probably, right? So yeah, I don't miss any of that shit. <laughs> all the way. Give me the, give me 50% taxation on it. I don't care. Right. It's uh Yeah. What do you, yeah. what do you miss? Let me ask you, what do you miss about it? The culture? Cause it is, it is a cultural thing. Yeah. Right. What, what do you miss about it? I, I think I miss the community. I think the thing that I miss the most is the community mm. and the pecking order of respect. You know, mm. I think that's a lot of what I miss because I grew up like they're making movies about the folks that I grew up with, you know, <laughs> and I'm watching that shit on Netflix and I'm like, oh, fuck, that's my uncle. <laughs> you know, like, so I'm it's pretty crazy for me because I grew up running, you know, barefoot and in diapers and a lot of these what felt like trees, you know, in these right. incredible Stop gardens. And it, it was nothing for me, but what that plant allowed, what that plant and what that culture allowed to be cultivated was a real, you know, tight knit community of people who were in the know, you know, mm -hmm. and I still, I recognize that like sort of new age millennial version of like, you got to know a guy because this industry still is a right. tight knit industry. The players are players. We're well established. So, you know, there is still that, but the respect is not, people don't have the same amount of respect. Like you said, it was like a superhero. It was like being in the presence, you know, if you knew the grower, you were, you had, you were right at the source, you know, it was like, and like, like that movie blow where mm -hmm. he ditched out, like he, he stopped being the middleman and he went direct to the source. Like if you knew who that was, 
that was everything. Like secretly you felt like you had superpowers. Do you know what I mean? So. And it, and it was a superpower because you were spreading an enlight, an ability to enlighten people and yeah. an ability to change the world. Yeah. That's what and, cannabis does. Yeah. And people were really famous for what they were able to do. And there was like a whole culture mm. around it and people, you know, people were close and they treated each other like family and they yeah. were protected. Famous and, like that, the outlaw stories, the like, oh, hey, Uncle John got away with this, like that type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. But even yeah. like further, like, let's just talk about the distribution and like people were coming out of the Humboldt Hills and bringing it all the way down to San Diego. And even though I was raised in North, Northern California, if I was down in Southern California and I like, I was going to this dispensary where I'd be like, oh, I know where that came from right there. Like, yeah, right. I know who grew that, you know? Totally. And there's like some, an aspect of that that makes you famous. The thing well, I- Hey, in the late nineties, right, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, no, okay. but Humboldt really was where all the commercial weed in the country came from. Cause Mendocino yeah. had like, wasn't happening at the time. No, right. It wasn't until 2002 where that really started to change and they legalized in Mendo and then it kind of like had this huge thing happen. But like Humboldt was where all the indoor weed was coming from Mm -hmm. the commercial, the large amounts. It was either there or it was from Canada. Right. There were maybe pockets of places around the country for sure. But Hey, I was in the hydro industry. So I know where all the gear was being sold. It was all being sold. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. And I fully recognize, I fully recognize and know that. So when I would see things coming out of, you know, Garberville and you know, Redway, and all, all the places up there, it was, it was just really cool to see how big the reach was mm-hmm. um, and who actually knew who. Now, nowadays, and when I go up there and I'm looking at the next generation, these young buck kids and their big ass trucks who are all benefiting off of daddy's hard work. And I'm just like, you spoiled brats deserve to get turned over somebody's knee and whooped. You know? what they said. I think that's what they said about us though. <laughs> I was, you know what I was just going to say. Uh-huh. But- no, I remember the same thing. You know, I experienced this just recently when I, when we came to Humboldt, we met this great group of people, old schoolers that had been doing it since the seventies and their perception was you know man just like high put like 10 plants out like get to keep it small you know or keep it under 50 plants like keep it small and you know our perception at the time was like no the world's changed you have to know your curtilage and you hide it within your curtilage as big as you possibly can water it right because <laughs> they at the times like if they couldn't see it they couldn't smell it then they couldn't come in so greenhouses were these perfect ways to hide it or in the trees in the canopy were the perfect yeah. way. Right. But, and they said that about us. They were like, Oh, you guys are going too big. You know, that 1200 square foot greenhouse too big too, Oh, you're too big. You're going to get trouble. Right. It's like, you can't see him. I shit. You can't come over. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it's a, it's the generational evolution, right? Generational transmission. I just think that the younger generation doesn't necessarily have the fundamentals of respect mm-hmm. that you guys yeah. had. Right, that transition yeah, from right. the 70s into the 90s. Like there was you can still- hop right into it at whatever level you want. If you've yeah. got financing, then you can go you can go up there any place and like, okay, I'm going to start up 10, 10 greenhouses, 10 hoop houses, start right now. i got my however much, the hundreds of thousands of dollars, my private mm-hmm. financing or whatever. And I'm, I can start that. I can Google it. I can YouTube it. I can see how these other people chop it down and harvest it. And we had to grow with all that knowledge. And, yeah. you know, as we're sitting here talking about it, I remember we wanted to like, Indoor was starting to come back into fashion and 
greenhouses, I mean, not greenhouses, generators, right? We're powering these big grows out in the hills. At the time, you had to ask people how to do it. And most people wouldn't tell you, right? Like they didn't want to talk to you. Like I was a new guy, like nobody knew who I was. So the guys at the generator store wouldn't talk to me, right? The growers that were doing it, I only know, I didn't, I didn't really know anybody who was doing it. I just kept hearing about it. It's like, oh man, these guys got hundreds of lights and generators. Like, how do I do that? You know, and now you can just look it up. Yep. Now you can just look right. it up. The, yeah. the new age of the internet. I think the landscape really started to shift in 2002 to 2000, maybe five, six, when one of the cartels started to come in and take over rain around that space, which for me is, that's right in the same time where I was in this near fatal surfing accident and had to move from like Humboldt heady stoner to a much more conscious advocate and how I was going to represent the evolution of this plant. Fast forward me into Colorado and right at the time that your store was popping up, we were owning and operating. 2009, one of the first, 2010. Yeah. 2009, 10, we came over to work with the DOR on the legislation that would legalize cannabis owned and operated one of the first licensed dispensaries here and recognized that there was a pretty significant gap from the technology the brands wanted to release versus what the consumer understood mm-hmm. about the potential of the product yeah. in your business because I'm educating right now, helping people understand like what the actual opportunities are, you know, no matter where they live, what can you take advantage of and being, you know, owning a cultivation center or store or, you know, what, what I would call an ancillary business is certainly a part of that. Mm-hmm. So for yourself, I'd love to hear some key pieces of advice that you could offer a new entrepreneur in this space who wants to get in and be involved without necessarily having to physically touch the plant themselves. How would you advise somebody get involved in this, in this movement? You know, um, as much research as you possibly can ask as many people that are successful in the business and not just the yahoos, mm-hmm. right? Cause there's tons of yahoos. We see them all the time. Well, if I had a room that big, I would do it this way. You know, <laughs> and that's not the guy you want to hear from. Yeah. You know, well, I had a room like that a few years ago and this is what happened. So like the research, you know, we, we talk about this all the time and we jokingly among us call them pink shirts and I've got a pink shirt too. So don't get me wrong. It's what it really means is someone that, that has more money or experience outside the cannabis industry and wants to get in the cannabis industry with zero knowledge, but they have this confidence from previous business or from their financial status or their ability to fund it however it goes that they can hop into it without knowing anything about it you know it's like greenhorn right is is, is kind of the same thing and, and people call them blue shirts pink shirts we, we we you know say pink shirts so it's hard if you want to be into it it's a legal business it's something you want to be in but you know everybody's going one direction left and maybe you should think about going right right like you know, everybody wants to grow weed. Everybody wants to extract weed or hemp. You know, everybody wants to make, maybe that's not what you should do. Maybe you should think about like, okay, everybody wants to grow weed. How can I service this guy? How can I, you know, supply him with something, right? Like, you know, people say off the top of their head, oh, you're in the picks and shovels industry. That's my primary business, Cultivate Colorado, Cultivate Garden Supplies, Oklahoma and Colorado. You know, picks and shovels people, they're, they're who made all the money in the gold rush. 
And, you know, that's to some degree true because people remember two things from the gold rush, Levi's and Eureka, right? When the gold miners struck rich, they yelled Eureka because they were going to run to Eureka, California in order to stake their claim, right? And uh, Levi's because everybody knows that story. I mean, it's hard to get into picks and shovels right now. Like incredible amount of money, incredible amount of connections even, right? To make a pick or shovel might not be such a bad thing for you, right? To support the people in my industry with support. That's mean, like we need it too. The ancillary people need support just as much as the cannabis people, Right. Like I have, you know, attorneys and CPAs and CFOs and, you know, insurance people and packaging people and that all service me for consultants for different things. So there's all types of ways to get involved with cannabis other than just growing it. Right. And even if you are a grower and you want to come into it, really think about that. Like, man, it's hard to scale it to get it big. Right. You, you've seen it. You guys have seen it in your, your website, in your own personal life. You've seen yeah. people try to scale. They're great thing that they can do really small. They can't, they can't scale it. Right. And it just, it's just difficult. And even if you're a grower, you know, maybe think about that. It's like, Hey, yeah, I love brown wheat, but man, I'm awful. I'm, I'm better at my transportation company. So maybe I should transport people's business. wheat. You know, or here in Oklahoma, it's required for you to to dispose of it. You're making such a perfect point right now, because I say that, you know, it's archaic to think that the only way to get involved with this industry is to touch the plant. The advanced way of thinking is how can I, the question you should be asking yourself is how can I bring the most value Mm -hmm. to this industry? Sometimes that's going to look like developing new skill sets so you can bring your existing skill sets to the table and help yeah. an existing brand and business grow. Sometimes that means, you know, bringing CBD into your already existing business. And sometimes yeah. that means starting your own business. But really, mm-hmm. I love what you're saying about like doing your research and making an educated decision because until you understand what those opportunities really are, it's tough to make your right. move. And you have to find that perfect formula of, you know, what are my current skill sets? What are my current assets? And who are my current relationships? From there, you'll be able to make a pretty solid move forward. And the next thing I'll say is invest in a mentor or Mm. an advisor who can offer you that direction. You know, you're doing quite a bit of that right now and supporting people getting established in Oklahoma of all freaking places. Tell me a little bit about how you work with folks to stabilize their start in this space. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Hey, hey, uh, before I get in that, I want to say one more thing to your newly budding business person that wants to get involved in it. Don't be greedy. The weed industry is not about the millions of dollars. Every single day I have someone come to me, plumbers, electricians, like, oh man, you guys are making lots of money. You know, and they try to charge me twice as much. Well, fuck you, man, come on. Like I'm, I'm a normal business person. These are, the taxation on cannabis is extreme, right? And, and in my picks and shovels business, it's volume and it's low margin. And man, just don't be an asshole. If you come in and you're like, want to officer a service for cannabis people at a, you know, at a real price, not a premium price, right? You're going to do better business. 
If you come in and you say, Hey man, I'm going to fill your, I'm going to change your carpets out. Here's a great one. Cause we've had people do this to us. Hey, I'm going to, I want to come in. I'm going to customize your carpets at cultivate Colorado, cultivate OKC. I'm going to change them out all the time. And it's going to cost you this much. We're like, Oh wow. We think that's a great idea. And then we find out a year later, that's twice as much as everybody else pays. Right. <laughs> so like, what do we do? We fire the first guy. And now like six or seven years into it, we're with the same people that gave us that other cheaper, regular service. So don't be greedy. Treat the cannabis customer like he's anybody else. Respect him that level and you'll do the best business ever. Man, that's like perfect words of wisdom. That's exactly what the segment is called. So you had another question though. I'm sorry. I just had to say that. Well, my final question was going to be, well, not my final, but I wanted to ask you about the consulting that you're doing right now with, uh, with oh, in Oklahoma. New, yeah, in Oklahoma, right. you pretty much jumped ship from Colorado. You still have your businesses yeah. here, but you moved out moved. into the, you followed the, yeah. the green rush right into, into the wave. Uh, yeah, you followed the wave. Mm-hmm. So now you're doing consulting. I mean, you're running a full service business plus yeah. your brick and mortar. No. Tell well, me about always- your consulting stuff. You know, with, with Cultivate Colorado and Hydro Stores in general, we were all the original consultants, right? As a potting soil manufacturer, yeah. you know, I was one of the original consultants, and this is how it went. Hey, Chip, I've got this big field. I want to put soil in it. How do I do it? Oh, man, well, here, I'll help you do it. Here's how you do it, and you buy the stuff from me, Yeah. right? <laughs> so, like, we've been doing it forever and didn't really call it consulting. It's like our service, Right. It's, you know, we try not to, we don't want to consult people on how to grow weed just on the technology around it. Mm -hmm. Right. One, we figure like, you know, if there's a million ways to do it and it's hard to tell people how to do it, you know, one way. Right. But what's not hard is to help people build a grow room or dry room or veg room that can support the million different ways of growing wheat, right? And that's kind of what we do is, and it doesn't matter if it's hemp, it doesn't matter if it's ganja, it doesn't matter if it's a six lights, one light LED, you know, whatever it is, vertical, you know, grow, like, like we can talk to you about it all because, man, we got the experience. Our staff is just so experienced. Chris in Oklahoma is, he's, he knows everything about growing outdoors and in greenhouses and, you know, indoor technology. And in Colorado, my guys up there, all of those guys are so versed in large scale, you know, indoor cultivation and, and regulations that you can just call us up and ask us almost any question. Right. And it's like, Oh, okay. You got this size room. Well, we've sold a hundred rooms just like yours. Yeah. Right. So I'm not trying to like, you know, many consultants, they're like, want to give some special magic, right? And really what we want is you to keep coming back to us, right? And the thing about magic is you use it like, oh man, that's how he did it, you know, <laughs> with magic. But if it's this reality, they're like, oh wow, Chip or Jacob or Chris or Daryl or Jimmy, they really helped me out. I'm going to go back to Cultivate Colorado. Yeah. Right. And, you know, uh, Cultivate OKC, Right. So it's no real different. One of our mottos is, you know, build design. It really should be like dream and design or something because we like dream it up with people every single day. 
You know, people just yesterday, one of the oldest questions I get, man, I want to put a grow room in a shipping container, right? People do it all the time. There's people you can buy them straight from. Totally bad idea. You probably shouldn't do it, but people do it all the time. And yeah. People do it. Okay. But totally bad idea. You shouldn't do it. And guy yesterday, he was like, man, I need to buy a shipping container that's already made into a grow pod that's already permitted that I can just sit right on my farm and plug in because my county will let me do that. Right. And it's like, Oh, okay. There you go. Here's this is the people to do it from. But like most of the time people come and say that to me and we talk about it, you know, get them into a real grow room that they can expand or like, well, I got a barn and I'm going to put the shipping container in the barn. It was like, Throw the shipping container away, build the barn out. Right. And <laughs> don't spend fifteen pay on something you're not gonna yeah. use. <laughs> right. Right. Or you're gonna use and you'll be like, oh wow, man, this is the coolest thing ever. I can grow eight pounds in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't expand at all unless I go buy one of these again. Yeah. Right. And hey man, I'm not hating on these things at all. Like one of the first commercial grow rooms I saw in California was you know, four forty four hundreds in a shipping container in two beds, you know, two aisles, two beds, you know, vertical setup, basically wow. 40 lights. That was 25, 30 years ago. We're not going <laughs> right. to, there's an ages you know? number around here. <laughs> right. No, I, I'm just saying how long it was ago where people were growing vertically in these containers. Yeah. Right. So it's not something new. Right. No. But, uh, you know, we, we've just had the experience, right? We, we literally know what your tonnage of AC is going to be when you come in and talk to us. And even though we don't sell AC, you got to look at your overall power source in order to see how many lights you can power. Yeah. Right. Cause people come in and they're like, Hey, I got a 5,000 square foot room. We're like, Oh, okay. Well that you can put 200 lights in there. I'm like, great. I want to put 200 lights in there. How much power do you have? I got 200 amps. Okay. Well, you can put 48 lights in and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, so I'm not really doing anything new, but we are really, and we're really stoked to be in Oklahoma. The enthusiasm with the local grower is just incredible here. There's very little arrogance in Oklahoma that we have a few customers who are like, oh, I know it all, man. Leave me alone. You know, give me this, 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 and this, and this. Give me the best price on it. And we're like totally happy to help that person. Yeah. Right. California, Colorado, that is the customer. They know exactly what they want. They've been doing it a long time. They don't need any help. And we like to help people. Right. So it's like, I'm not saying it's boring in those environments, but like, you know, you're just checking people out. And here, like every single day in the shop, I get to talk to somebody that's never done it before, did it 20 years ago, has been growing one, like, you know, whatever. They've got a commercial garden. They've, they're a plumber or they're a furniture store or they're a subway store owner. They've started, and I get to hear these incredible stories, man, you know, and entrepreneurial stories. And I, I feed off that. And they give that to me. And in return, like, we give them back, like, good information. You know? Love that. And you're also serving a broad, you're getting your fix serving a broader audience through your own publications. The Real Dirt is focused on supporting mm -hmm. the grower. Tell me a little yep. bit about how you got started with The Real Dirt, what kind of topics you've been discussing <laughs> there, and then where they can find you. The Real Dirt, I'm going to have to thank Hollis Carter and Michael Lovich for helping me start The Real Dirt podcast. I didn't know anything about marketing really 
digital marketing, right? And met these two guys and they kind of had a consulting type company going on, which turned into this incredible networking group called Baby Bathwater. And Hollis said to me one day, as I'm like telling him all this crazy stuff I'm trying to do or want to do, I was like, have you ever thought about a podcast? I was like, yeah, I love podcasts. I love radio. What do you mean? He's like, do you think you'd be able to talk for an hour about weed? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course I can talk an hour about weed, right? Like limit me, right? It's only an hour. So uh, Hollis really helped me establish the podcast. And I went in first season, which is which I'm coming up on my third anniversary right now. First season, I went and, and called 13, 14 of my most successful or interesting friends and had them come over to my basement studio and smoke tons of weed and talk about whatever they were doing, right? And it was great fun. I had such a good time doing it. I was already upset with how much bad information was out on the marketplace that I felt like this was a really great opportunity for me to get good, good information on like what really is growing on with wheat, but really growing on with hemp. And that's what I've been able to do. And we're going on our third season. I've got maybe 70 episodes. I'm not as a, a regular maybe as some other people in their podcast. Mm-hmm. It's not my daily business. Our sole thing with the podcast is just to, you know, hear new and interesting people's stories connect with uh, people that that need our help that want to talk about growing cannabis that need growing medium that need good equipment and just connect with those people in that way and i'll tell you what it's given me is man i can call almost anybody up in the cannabis industry right now and talk to them where before they wouldn't necessarily talk to me and you can do it too right and they're like oh i got this podcast on weeds real dirt and you know, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they listen to a podcast and it sounds like, oh, this guy's kind of like Cheech and Chong, you know, like Howard Stern, like, you know, (laughs) right. Who is this guy? You know? And so I get to talk to these incredible people and ask them questions I'm interested in. Right. Cause it's now it's become about me before it was about my customer. Yeah. And, and, you know, now like I just, I just uh, had an interview with green bros, the guys who, Cullen and Green Bros, the guys who have these automated, great automated technology for harvesting and trimming and processing. Because, man, I see, their, I see their equipment is different from everybody's. And I'm just interested in it. I was like, I want to the, meet these people. I want to talk to them about what they're doing and how they got here. And, you know, I've seen their business grow from nothing to what it is now. And, you know, it's, I get off the phone. I'm pumped. They're pumped. I just got this great story from somebody, their whole entrepreneurial journey, why they're doing what they do. And man, I just get so high on it, you know, that it's, it's, it's just great. It's just great feeling. And then my guests later tell me how, how much it clarified to them what they were doing in, in their lives or their business. Yeah. Right? They were able to talk through it and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm good at asking questions and I really want to know, you know, it's totally authentic with me. You know, I'll be like, what the fuck were you thinking when you did that? (laughs) (laughs) I love that about your podcast. Yeah, totally. Right. But uh, yeah, Real Dirt Podcast is the best thing I've done. If you're ever interested in a podcast, whatever your industry is, you know, it's a great way to access your customers, no matter what you're doing. If you, you know, or I don't know, car washer, 
right? You got a car wash, man. Tell people how to wash your cars on the podcast. And as you can, you know, reach so many people with it every single week, people contact me. I've never talked to. I've got this great friend in Morocco now who he barely speaks English. I'm pretty sure he's using a translator. And like we text each other, message each other almost every day. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a pen pal. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Pen pal. Yeah, it's just, so yeah, real, I don't really monetize it in any way. I do have some sponsors. I've started some sponsorship stuff, but it's really been turning out to this like artistic expression on my part. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, there is this whole technical thing of recording the show and like <laughs> thinking about like the episode and you know what, what I'm going to ask people, you know, and some people do it in a real formal manner. Some people do it like me and you, where we like, you know, you've got a couple of things you want to talk to me about and we just have a conversation. Yeah. Right. And, and that's how I prefer it. I, I also, you know, try not to sell stuff necessarily hard. I do have sponsorships and I do appreciate it when people, you know, buy stuff from my grocery store or buy my growing medium, but I'm not really trying to push that so hard. I want to push the education. Yeah, well, people care more about the people behind the products anyways, and that's why they're going to get invested into a company or a product or whatever. And that's what I love about my podcast. You know, we're a media company, so that's what we do is publish information. And we found a really streamlined way to attract, you know, the folks that we want to talk to. Money is not the qualifier. You have to be a human being who is doing things that make an impact in your community and in your business. And that's, that's who we want to hear from because everybody has their story. Everybody has their approach. And those are the things that make us human beings rather than human doers. And I think that this industry especially has a bad rep for being a cash rich industry, but also (laughs) presents a lot of opportunity for people to come in and get, I'll use the pun, the real dirt from the folks who are actually pushing this industry forward and truly understanding what it takes and what we need, which is collaboration, you know, opportunities to access and impact on a higher level. Where can folks find you if they do want to work with you and listen to what you got going on? Yeah. You know, uh, you can contact us any day on Instagram. We're the real dirt podcast. You've got a really active Instagram site. You can also check us out on Facebook, the real dirt podcast on Facebook, CultivateColorado.com, CultivateOKC.com. All those places you can uh, check us out. And let me not forget GrowersCoca.com, GrowersCoca. That's our potting soil company. You can contact us at any of those places. But Instagram is absolutely the best. Facebook's really good, too. If you send us a message, you'll be communicating with me or with Travis. So it's not some agency or somebody in you know India or China. Even though if I could replicate myself that way, I totally would. I just haven't been able to. <laughs> so uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. And if you've got any questions about cannabis man we you know more than likely someone else has that question too so ask it hell yeah do do the dirt and listen to the real dirt i'm i'm so into your podcast and you bring a lot of value to our communities for those of you who are listening you know that we have a pretty significant following online and chip is always right there front and center 
Yeah, Love to it. answer the questions. The Green Rush community is on fire with all it of is. the growers. I mean, just mm -hmm. such an incredible community of people in there who are passionate about this plant from soil all the way to sell. These are the people that we love to serve every single day because they're working with and on behalf of the plant all the time. So really appreciate your work and your time, Chip. Thank um, you. Yeah, you're welcome. And the incredible commerce that you have built on behalf of the, these communities and the people who are benefiting by being a part of your organization. It's really incredible to watch. Can't wait to continue to celebrate your success. Any final words before we end today's episode? Man, let's just keep overgrowing it. That's how we're doing it. That's how we've gotten this far as we've just overgrown all the obstacles in our way. And, and I'm just going to keep doing it. You keep doing it too, Sonia. Thank you so much. Hey, for those of you guys who are listening, thank you so much for being a part of this incredible community. We are so proud and honored to serve you with the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make empowered and educated decisions about how you want to be a part of this movement, but also how you want to care for yourself, the people that you love, conditions you may be suffering from, or otherwise care for this beautiful gift of life. If you're a person looking for products you can depend on, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. And if you are a business looking for folks like myself or Chip to support you and getting the key relationships, resources, direction that you need to flourish in this industry, check us out at theemeraldcircle.com. We are happy to help. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show, guys. Thanks, Sonia. Thanks for listening to another rockstar episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez. And just for you, we took notes on this episode along with the links and other resources mentioned inside of today's show. Get them for free right now by going to theemeraldcircle.com. Now, if you want more on this, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen, and you will be automatically entered in to our monthly giveaway where you can get swag bags, all kinds of cool gifts and discounts from our guests, and exclusive offers that are only mentioned right here in the Hemp Revolution podcast. I can't wait for you to share this with your friends. With your help, we've been able to impact millions of people's lives around the world with the truth about hemp and cannabis. And we know that you love us so much that you're going to leave a review and rate us right now on your favorite platform to absorb content just like this. Now, we challenge you to dream big and love the life that you live. Thanks so much. And we hope to see you on our next episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. Ciao for now.